0: Welcome to Group Talk, four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Welcome back to The Leadership Journey. This is your host, Bill Search. Let me ask you a question Have you ever had a small group just get a little tired, a little stale? They just, um, they're going so strong and then something happens. Maybe it's a group you've been part of. Maybe it's a group you lead. Maybe you have a leader that comes to you and says, what do I do? My small group was so awesome just a little bit ago. And now I kind of hope they don't show up so I can just watch TV. Watching TV would be way more fun than our small group. Something happened. Help me out. So what do you do? How do you coach that leader? By the way, the uh, show notes are going to be available. So uh, wherever the notes are found within the app or otherwise, uh, there's going to be a a keynote and you can uh, grab hold of that. You can use it. You can adapt it, whatever you want to do with it. Totally fine by me. So what we're going to do in this session is we're just going to cover two things to do, two issues, and then what to do about those issues. And then in the next episode, we're going to cover two more. what to do about that but the show notes are going to be in both places so you'll be able to find the whole deal and if you want to teach this to your people that's kind of why we do this by the way that's the heartbeat behind leadership journey is to provide tools for you as a leader so that you can lead others and so uh, this topic breathing new life into tired small groups i think it's timely for any group ministry any season I don't care if you have small groups that meet home in homes that are more of that traditional small group vibe, or if you have more of a mixed model where you have groups that meet in classrooms, Sunday schools, uh, more learning environments. Anytime you gather people and that group was very exciting at one time and then just something happens. What do you do? And so, uh, there's a couple books I'd recommend. One is, uh, Uh, Parker, and in fact, I'm pretty sure Nick Lenz did a a, a podcast on her book, The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. If you haven't read that book, it's really worth a read. It's quite a page turner. Uh, Parker is a very fine author and has much to say that's applicable to group life. And then Uh, If I can be so bold, I'd recommend my own uh, The Essential Guide for Small Group Leaders. There's a second edition out. I hope you don't mind me mentioning that, but there's some stuff in there that really can just help you in the nuts and bolts of leading a group. And so, so, why does a group get tired? As I mentioned, I'm going to cover two of those today and then two more in a subsequent podcast. So why does a group get tired? Well one is a leader begins to coast two is meetings become kind of tired and routine Uh, three relationships hit a plateau and four purpose is lost so as i mentioned we're going to hit the first one and the second one in our time together today so so a leader coasts we've all been there we've all been that leader before i mean sometimes you can really strike hard And the group is going along very well. And you're very engaged as a leader. And you're so excited about leading. And every time you get one of those emails or texts or a note from your small group director, pastor, coach, whatever you call that person, you're very excited to read it. And then something weird happens. You go from very excited to, well, yeah, you read every other one. And then after a while, you just sort of put them in your junk mail file and hope they lose your email address. And meanwhile, the group that was so electric when they were showing up, there's some of the electricity is missing. In fact, some of the members are missing. They don't even bother to tell you why they are missing. And uh, Parker, in her book, she has this uh, interesting idea about generous authority. And she asks this question, am I practicing generous authority? And generous authority is a really kind of an interesting concept. The idea is a combination of two things. Generous, which you probably know what that means, is giving something away. And authority means you have a job to play. You're the boss. You're the leader. And many of us are comfortable with one of two of those ideas, but uh, one or the other of those ideas, but we're not necessarily comfortable with both those ideas. So we end up being thrilled to be in charge, or we're happy to give things away. And what she talks about in one of the chapters in her book, a big theme that kind of runs throughout her book, is this idea of generous authority. You have been commissioned with a role to play. And therefore, you have an authority. You are permitted to say, look, this is how things ought to be. But in the, in the meantime, you're to give those things away. You're to allow other people to participate in the group, and uh, there's a, there's an interesting observation that Parker makes. She says that um, some people they they say, "Look, I, I'm not like I'm not like an authority. I'm more chill. I take things a little more easy." And and what she says is, "Chill. Get this. Chill is selfishness disguised as kindness." Another way of putting it is when you abdicate your authority the responsibility you have as a leader to take Responsibility for your group to lead your group when you say you know what actually the kindest thing I can do is give it away And not take any responsibility. Let the group do whatever it is The group wants to do sort of go with the flow Let the gravitational pull of the group go in the direction of the gravitational pull of the group then if you're the leader And you abdicate that responsibility and you do it under the guise of, like, look, I'm just an easygoing soul. Live and let live, man. Well, if that's the kind of leadership you practice, it really is selfish. It isn't giving others away because you're actually punishing other people in the process. What happens is that the otter elements of the group will take over the group. And so rather than practice, some leadership, if you let the odd people run over the group, then the group will take on the flair of that. I'll give an example of this. So there's a group that I'm a co-leader of. I'm not the direct leader of the group because as a leader, I believe there's some places where I shouldn't be in charge of the big thing. So I'm sort of an assistant to the leader in this particular group. Now it is a, um, I'll describe it to you. It is a group of about 50 men who meet. So it's not so much a small group, but there's small groups within this large group. It's a group of 50 men in the average age of 72. And if you're curious, I'm 50. So that's my age. So I bring the entire group down a generation. You know, when I show up, I, I slide the group a little bit younger. And uh, there's only at an any given moment, two of us that are in our 50s when everybody else is in their 70s. 80s and we actually have a guy who is a korean war vet in his 90s and uh, we just lost our last world war ii vet who is almost 100 so it's an old group okay so you get the picture of it, old group and uh this uh last time we had a meeting one of the fellows uh gave a nice political joke and uh, it definitely gave away his political persuasion. So it wasn't like a political joke that made fun of everybody. It made fun of one party and one politician in particular. And there were some chuckles in the group. So afterwards, I went up to this uh, gentleman and I said, you know, Gene, we'll just call him Gene. Uh, you know, Gene, uh, you know, I, I'm not easily offended by anything. And, and I'm not even reacting to what you said politically. But you have to understand, Gene, that not everybody who attends this group shares your political persuasions. That's not why we gather. There are groups where people get together and talk about politics. And certainly it's, you you know, you're free after this group to go out for coffee and share your thoughts. But when we're in this group, it's best not to make jokes at the expense of one political party. I said, if you made fun of everybody, everybody would roll with it. When he kind of he i could tell he was uncomfortable this is a guy who's easily almost 30 years older than i am and he didn't appreciate this my point of view on this and so i said there are men who have told me that they don't come to the group because they just assume that it's one stilted political point of view and they're going to be made fun of or at least it's just going to end up taking on that flare. so i said to my friend because he is my friend i said you know my guess is you, you want as many guys to feel welcome here. And if you want them to feel welcome, it's best just to leave those kind of jokes aside. There's plenty of other jokes you can tell. Now, I don't know if he's going to take my advice. I don't know if he's going to, uh, if he's going to uh, kind of self-edit. But what I did do is I gave him a pretty good clue that this isn't what we're about as a group. This is probably the uh, third or fourth conversation like this I've had with different guys in the group. I like a good joke, a good political joke. But we have to decide what we're about as a group. And uh, that's just one example of it's it's generous in that I didn't kibosh him. I didn't attack him. I, I didn't try to make him feel low. I am for him. But what I did do is I encouraged him to create a more welcoming environment. So I, I gave authority away to him to have an influence in the group, but I wasn't willing to advocate my responsibility. It's an authority that I have. So, so how do you practice a generous authority? Well, generous authority, it, it lives by serving others. And here's a few different ways that you can serve others. You protect group members. That's kind of what I was doing in that illustration. I was protecting Everyone's political point of view. In fact, I was protecting everybody from each other's political point of view If I go to a Bible study, I don't want to hear about politics. I don't need to hear that stuff Number two uh, by equalizing group members That generous authority brings all group members into equal footing with each other The person who tries to wrestle control of the group You bring them back and the person who isn't participating you try to lift them up And then uh, through interconnecting group members. So one of the ways that you can practice generous authority is by getting different people to relate. So uh, in this particular group that I just described with 50 fellows in one big room, there's various tables and I sit at the last end back table sometimes by myself because that's the table a new guy shows up. He comes in the door and he doesn't know where to sit. So he sits at that table and I welcome that guy And I know most of the guys in the group. So at some point a new guy comes in and I introduce the new guy to some other guys And then I attach them and they're off into a new group now This is all done relatively organically not terribly organized fashion. It's just me in the back That's the role that I play. I try to connect these guys So this is uh, examples of generous authority protecting group members equalizing them and then interconnecting them so Ways that we can practice this generous authority in a group is by practicing good manners in that group Which if you if you're coaching a leader one of the things that the if the leader is getting kind of tired and coasting Talk talk to the leader about hey, what's the tone and tenor of your group? How are people getting along with each other? How are people respecting each other? So good manners uh, make good friends uh, you you practice generous, generous authority as a leader by remem- remembering or reminding everybody of the rules of the group, uh, call it covenant, call it whatever you want to call it. And then encourage, uh, this is one that was very interesting in Parker's book, I thought I thought it was fascinating. She said, encourage people to make sprout speeches, not stump speeches. Stump speeches are long and you're wrestling control of the group, A sprout speech is just a little pop-up speech. Pickleball is very popular right now, and pickleball is not rugby. You get the ball, you want to hit the ball over the fence to the next person. The game is played when each person barely touches that ball and moves that ball back and forth. Well, that's really what we're talking about here. good interaction, good conversation, has an equality to it in the way that people interact with each other. So, you're coaching a leader. You sense the leader's kind of coasting. And maybe they've told you they're getting real tired. The group feels real tired. Well, what do you tell the leader to do? Well, there's some of the very basic things that we always come back to. If you have a if you have a covenant, some kind of agreement, some kind of ground rules for your group, reaffirm that. Two, have tough conversations within the group. If if the group is is at uh, an odd place, have the tough conversations. Encourage the group leader just to say. I feel like things could be better. What could I do better as a leader? And then re-up as a leader or get out. This might be to you. As you're listening to it, you might need to hear that. Do I need to re-up or do I need to move on to something else? Or when you're talking to a leader, do they need to re-up or do they need to get out? And then uh, finally, encourage them to share leadership. There is nothing quite like building into other leaders to sharpen you as a leader. As I became an executive pastor years ago, one of the things I learned was that developing other pastors, giving away ministry to other pastors is one of the great joys of this work. That when you're young and starting out in ministry, you're just trying to do a whole bunch of different things. And sometimes you become very territorial. I know I did in my younger years, but as you get older, the quality of giving things away is uh it it not only is full of its own kind of joy but it helps you as a leader sharpen up all right so this is what to do if the leader is coasting now we talked about one of the other issues which is um tired groups because of a routine meeting and this is um by the way is is i kind of hit these topics think about you as you are leading other leaders this is kind of self-diagnosis for your group you could if your leader comes to you and says something's not quite going right and i don't know what it is the first thing is to ask them about their own leadership style what they're doing in their group are they controlling the group are they abdicating responsibility are they practicing generous authority but the other piece of it is is well tell me about your group What is it that you guys do? Where do you meet? How do you practice your group? What are the key elements in your group? And if you kind of hear like a "Hmm," boredom in the voice, you know that part of the issue is that group. I like this quote from Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian. He says, the room is doing 80% of the job. If you've ever delivered a, a talk, a speech, a sermon, you know that's true. You can have a great talk and if the room is icy cold or if it's just kind of spread out weirdly, then the group can just not quite function right. And so be very aware. Um, venue matters. Venue matters. The this space should be a symbol uh, or reason for meeting. I mean, this is one of the beauties of traditional small groups that meet in a home. Because a traditional small group sees itself somewhat as a family. So meeting in a home is gonna reinforce that. In fact, that's one of the things that bugs some people sometimes. It's like, hey, all our small group does is get together and eat and talk. Well, yeah, because you're meeting in a family room and that's what you do in there. But if you meet in a classroom, a lot of the complaint is, it's just it's just kind of you know, didactic. It's just a teacher environment. Well, that's true because you're meeting in a classroom. So a small group, even if it's 12 people sitting around a round table in a classroom, still might feel a little more clinical. And that's okay. But just know that the, the ideal is when you match up your, your big picture of what you're trying to do as a group and the space that you're meeting in. The, the space should bring out desired behaviors and discourage the behaviors you don't want. Now think about that for a minute. That's why in classrooms so often, students sit in rows at desks. You really don't want them interacting. You want all eyes forward, right? That's, in, that's, in, that, that's kind of key to that environment. And so uh, a space should bring out those behaviors. Again, this is where the, the living room space, it's not just having a big space. It's having appropriate seating around that space. Incidentally, a lot of groups, mine included, use video. So what do you do when you're not going to be in a circle because you have a big TV to look at? Well, my small group, we kind of layer up. We have two or three rows while we're watching the video. And then I encourage people to move and change their chairs around. It doesn't always work, by the way. Some people are like, nah, I'm good here. I don't mind looking at uh, Tiffany's uh, back of her head. That's fine. She's got my but ideally people circle up so the space should bring out the desired outcomes by the way that circle discourages people from having side conversations and then um consider uh what uh, parker talks about in her book consider density you need to have enough people to make the room feel good and yet not too many that people feel uncomfortable if anything the pandemic has shown us is that uh there's different seasons where people consider density percentages uh to be appropriate and uh, during different eras it's uh oh i want to be in a mostly empty room but in other eras of the pandemic it's been oh we're fine i want to be in a packed room or i want to be close with people well within groups at least we're very cognizant if you have two or three people in a very big room that's not very fun at all and if you have five or six people in a small room, that could be very fun. So just think about density. It's not just about having adequate seating. You might have more than adequate seating. So if you have eight people at a dining table that seats 20, it will kind of feel like nobody came to your party. But if you have eight people around a table that seats six, it seems like you're the most popular place to be. So keep that in mind. So, um, the format also matters. It's not just the space. The format matters. Mix it up. If you have been doing the same old thing for a long, long time, then mix it up. If you've been doing video for a long, long time, then here's a crazy idea. Grab one of those old Bible studies from the like 19 late nineties. They still make them and actually read the scripture and go through something like that. Um, but mix it up. Curtail the dull parts. We all know the parts that get really boring. So, you know what? Cut those. Cut them right in the middle if necessary. And then try different curriculum. Not just different formats of curriculum, but try different curriculum. You know, if you constantly used one voice, use a different voice. Try different ones. Uh, My small group, we tried, I tried to introduce them to uh, N.T. Wright. He has a bunch of video curriculum, tons of it out there now. It just seems that, I think as I am filming this, he's filming two video curriculum simultaneous. Is that brilliant? Okay, he's not really doing that, but it's very good stuff. I like it. My small group didn't, on the other hand. It was just a little over their head. And so they sat through it. And uh, after a few sessions, they were like, Bill, can we do something else? And that's okay. I'd rather they be honest. So we moved on we're doing this Dan Kimball and uh, he's got a a video curriculum on how not to read the Bible. And if you've never seen Dan teach, he's really terrific teacher. So anyhow, that was all for free right there. And then what do you do now? Well, here's some things you can do when, when, um, when you are in the middle of meeting routine, you rotate host who hosts the thing. So if you are always host, get someone else to host it. Try out different places. Um, you know what? Have a testimony time. Spend a couple weeks and instead of doing the normal routine, say everybody rotate through and you're going to share your 15-minute your testimony or your 10-minute testimony, depending on how many people are in your group. It's pretty remarkable when people share their story. I'm amazed what comes out when people share their testimony. Even if you've done that, but you haven't done that in like three years, do it again. I'm pretty sure you don't remember everybody's story and they don't probably remember yours either. You could also serve together. Do something as a group that's outside of your normal group. And then um, choose an unlikely meeting spot. So, you know, if you're always doing the same thing in the same place, then go somewhere else and enjoy that different environment. So those are a few things that you can do if you want to mix it up with your group. And so, as I mentioned, we're talking in this session and the next session, why a group gets tired. And we've covered... Well, the leader begins to coast and how do you know that? And what do you do about that? And then we just covered the meeting becomes routine. The next time we're together, we're going to cover the other two, which is relationships hit a plateau. They all do at some point. What are you going to do about that? And then the purpose of the group is lost. So until next time, I look forward to our time together. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically.